The reading today is Mark 7, 24 through 37. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to All Souls Fellowship. I'm so glad that you're here with us today, whether you are a longtime member or attender, whether you are visiting from Mobile or uh, whatever has brought you here today. We're just so glad uh, to be able to worship with you today and uh, to share together. My name is Mike St. Dennis. I'm the associate pastor of discipleship or spiritual formation here at the church. And our lead pastor, Stephen Good, is away on vacation this week as many students uh, in the city of Decatur have break this week. And so uh, that's why we're a little bit lighter this morning as folks are traveling. There's something I want to share with you, kind of give you a behind-the-scenes glimpse about what ministry life is like. Uh, the senior pastor, Stephen, is the one who kind of sets our preaching schedule and rotations and works to build out the sermon series that we have. Uh, he's given me the chance to do some of that in the summer times and to work on planning series, but, but most of the time it's kind of out of, out of his uh, study and things like that that he plans the series. And if you're the senior pastor, uh, you kind of pick your passages ahead of time, you get to the week of, and if you have a particularly hard text, you just change it. And then if you're the associate pastor and the senior pastor's out of town, you just preach the next assigned text. <laughs> and so it's really curious why he seems to go out of town anytime passages like this come up. You might have picked up on it as Stephanie was reading for us, but a difficult passage here. And one scholar, I want to share with you what they said about it. This story here. It's often viewed as a troubling embarrassment. A sincere foreign woman seeks help from Jesus. And at first he ignores her. He then appears to exhibit racism and insensitivity to her suffering as he insults her in public. 
Yes, he does finally heal her daughter, but only after the mother demonstrates a willingness to be publicly humiliated. Why, the reader inevitably asks, is this poor woman put through the ringer before Jesus accepts to heal her daughter? And the scholar finishes by asking the question, how then can the story be best understood? And so put yourself in my shoes. You're an assistant pastor and the lead pastor's out of town and you open up the commentaries to try to figure out what's in the passage. And then the commentator asks you, how can you best understand this passage? That's the kind of week that it was. Typically when I preach, you you get the assignment, you read over it once, you're like, yes, I got this. Then you get into the study and you're like, no, I don't. And then you get somewhere around Thursday or Friday and you're left all weekend saying, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) I am thankful, though, for this passage and this week. Uh, We do have many people visiting here this morning and you're not aware of some of the things that we've been through this week, but... But we, as Paul alluded to, uh, our community is uh, mourning. Um, And it's not just this week and the loss of loved ones. Um, Baby Sydney, after her two-year battle with crab disease, and also Jen Laramore's cousin, Vlad, hit by a car last week. But there's all kinds of just weariness and death in our community right now. Whether we are continuing to struggle and pray for people battling cancer, whether overseas or in our own homes and neighborhoods, whether we are praying for those and walking alongside those who are facing many uh, marital and relational troubles or, or experiencing trouble uh, with kids who are, who are wayward, making all kinds of decisions, as Paul prayed, whether those of us who have uh, work troubles because we have too much work or because we have not enough work, we find ourselves in a season in the life of our church that is heavy with weariness. And so you may be celebrating something, and, and, and the, the joyful songs that we're singing are lifting you up, and, and the praise is coming easy, and for that we praise God. And you may be growing desperately weary like the woman here. Or maybe you've been in a place of weariness for a while. And it may not be your own suffering, but it may be the suffering and questions that others around you face. And it leads you to sigh and grow weary the way Jesus does here. And after sitting with the passage this week and coming alongside many of us who are walking in that weary road, I'm convinced that God has a word of encouragement, of hope, and healing from this passage. I believe that these two stories taken together, that what God is trying to show us and what Mark is trying to show us and what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and teach us is to show us the way that we are to come to God in great humility and desperation, but also great faith and great hope. To come in the place where we are desperate and we are not enough of our own accord to come into his presence and yet we come boldly and wrestle with him. Not because of our merit or worthiness, but because of his. And we can do so coming into his presence because he is a God who has identified with us, even in our weariness, who has been humiliated himself and given up his life and body that he might make us whole. 
And so today we want to be comforted by that gentle healing. Even as we wrestle with God in the midst of of weariness, of confusion, of questions, or we experience a season of great joy and health. That's what we're going to look at this morning. First, a little bit about the context here. Uh, before the context of the passage, I'm, I'm sitting, my foot is fine. A couple weeks ago, I sat on a stool because my foot was messed up. I'm sitting here now just because, just because. <laughs> I said a couple weeks ago, it's like, the stool comes out for like a very special episode of All Souls sometimes. And, and I think a passage like this, as challenging as it is, and, and again, how heavy the things we've faced this week, I think it's appropriate uh, to kind of just assume this posture. Like the woman lays down at the feet. Sometimes we just got to lay down. We got to take it easy. All right, so the first seven chapters of Mark, Jesus has begun his ministry. He's gathered his disciples. He's gone throughout the region of Judea, the countryside in Galilee. He's traveled back and forth. He's been healing and teaching and feeding. Uh, He's encountered the religious leaders multiple times. He sent the disciples out as well. Uh, Big, giant crowds are gathering around him and chasing him. And for several chapters, the refrain has come up that Jesus tried to withdraw, to go away and to rest. And it seems like Jesus can do all things, heal people, drive out demons. He can even have 12 friends as an adult, but he can't take a nap. He can't escape the ministry and the work, the need of the people. And so there's this curious passage here where he's just with the religious leaders. He confronts them, tells them that they, their distinctions of what's clean and unclean is prejudiced, that they are sinning, that they have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. And he's rebuking them and the disciples for not understanding it. He says that what goes into a person isn't what uh, defiles them, but what comes out. He's just fed thousands of people. He's healing The crowds are gathering, and he escapes. He finds no rest in the land of Judea, not amongst the religious leaders or the crowds who seek to praise him. So he goes to this territory just a little bit north, to the land of Tyre and Sidon. First century Jewish historian Josephus, writing at the time, said of Tyre and Sidon that these people are notoriously the most bitter enemies of the Jewish people. In the book of Matthew, as he tells the story, he calls the woman a Canaanite woman, hearkening back to the enemies of Israel in the Old Testament. Jesus has gone into enemy territory, to the land of the Gentiles and the unclean, according to the Jewish people, in order that he might escape and find rest. One pastor said, it's akin to Mother Teresa needing rest from her ministry, so she takes a week-long vacation on the Vegas Strip. There's irony that's used here and that's meant to draw us in. So he arrives there. He enters into a home, presumably a Gentile home. Again, turning their prejudice and their ideas around what's clean and unclean. And as he gets there, we pick up reading in verse 25. As soon as the woman had heard about him, a woman whose little daughter, who was possessed by an impure spirit, came and fell at Jesus' feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. This passage is meant to send the alarm bells. 
something strange and peculiar for Jewish culture is happening. You see, this woman is, is an outsider on more than one front. She's a Gentile. She's a woman. And she's from the home of an unclean, unclean spirit. And yet she comes crossing the boundary lines to come and speak to a Jewish rabbi. When a Jewish rabbi wouldn't even speak to, family, uh, to female family members in public. He speaks to a Gentile, ones that continually the religious leaders keep calling unclean and setting out their prejudice, their racism, to divide the people from the assembly of God. The woman comes boldly and throws her down, herself down at his feet. And this part, this part does not yet alarm us. We know what this is like to experience suffering on your own behalf or that of another. And we know what it's like to see the love of a parent. Some years ago, uh, my oldest sister struggled with substance abuse from the time I was a little kid. And about seven years ago, she had an especially difficult season in her life and, and fell back into that again. And, and trying to care for her, my mom, on the way to meet her, suffered a stroke. And after a year and a half of rehabilitation, my sister once again entered into a difficult season of life. And on the way to visit her in the hospital, my mom had a second stroke that took her away from us. Even though she lived up until this last February, my mom needed constant care, and she was not the woman that I knew. This last year, my sister lost her battle with substance abuse. And I remember talking to my aunt last year because of the deep anger and sadness and frustration and grief of the suffering that my family had endured. And looking at my mom and my mom's heart being tied to my sister and being angry, why did she give up so much for her? And my aunt said to me, it wasn't just her. She would have done that for any of you. Just like my mom, this woman is growing desperate because of the love that she has and the inability to see her daughter walk in health and in fullness. And it drives her to do the unthinkable, to cross the boundaries, to draw near to the one that she's heard of in hope, in desperation, and even to endure humility. We get that part, but it's the next part that follows that really we have to wrestle with. As she comes begging for Jesus to save her child, and this is this progressive begging word that she's begging more and more and louder and louder, and yet Jesus responds in this way. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. At first glance, as the scholar noted, it appears not only that Jesus is dismissing her, but that he's He's, he's judging her as unclean, using a racial epithet in 
the process and casting her out, turning a blind and insensitive eye to her plight and rejecting her. Can we admit that this doesn't really sound like the Jesus that we know? Can we admit that this is something that challenges us and that, that we don't have an easy or quick answer, just like in the sufferings and the weariness that we are facing? We don't know what God is up to here. We suspect he's up to something. We're just not sure what. As scholars know, they believe that Jesus is here taking what would be the assumed role of the racial prejudice of the Jewish people and his own disciples, even though he just taught them about what's clean and unclean and opened up the kingdom to include more people, even though he just fed more people, thousands of people with bread and fishes, Jesus now here takes up and gives voice to the prejudices, to the assumptions, to the beliefs and the scarcity of his followers. What I believe that Jesus is doing here, there's, there's really only two options. On the one hand, it could be that Jesus just really needed a day off. You're hungry, Jesus. Have a Snickers. You're just not yourself when you get this way. Or it could be that he is up to something. So I believe that Jesus is giving an opportunity for his disciples to speak, to respond, to apply what he's been teaching them and showing them in words, even confronting the religious leaders, to give them a chance to say, isn't this the status quo of our Jewish culture, that we would dismiss this woman as a dog and say there's not enough bread to go around, and to give them a chance to remember what he's done and to say, wait, you're the God who makes the bread. And it's not what goes into a person, but what comes out that makes them clean or unclean. No, Jesus. You can heal this woman's daughter. And then the most surprising thing in the text, which may be one of the most surprising things in the New Testament, is that it's not the disciples or the religious leaders or even Jesus who takes the spotlight to preach the gospel. But it's the woman who responds. Matthew 15, in his version of his account, it reads, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table eat the crumbs. And Jesus is amazed and impressed. He celebrates the woman. Responding, saying, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And at that, her daughter was immediately healed. Jesus is speaking in a parable here in the passage. And even though in our culture we love dogs, and and you may have fur babies in your house, back in this culture, it wasn't exactly that way. But the, the word he uses here for dog isn't just the same word of the dogs out on the street scavenging for garbage, but rather he says the little dog. The puppies, those in the house. Second, he draws out a parable in order to invite the woman to respond. He never uses the parables in the New Testament to dismiss people, but invite them to see by faith what they hope already is true. 
And in the whole book of Mark, for the first time, somebody sees it. In every other parable up until this point, Jesus teaches the parable, he withdraws with the disciples, and the disciples say, that was so good. What did you mean? And yet here, as Jesus paints the picture, the woman enters in. Whether it's because of her own desperation and emptiness and the suffering that she's endured. The willingness to humiliate herself or the word of hope and the love of a child. Great faith is her response. To say, Lord, I don't come to you on my own merit. I don't come to you because, yes, I am worthy and I fit the cultural standards and the norms because I am celebrated and prized amongst. I haven't done these things. But, Lord, it's not because of me, but because of you that there is enough. A lot of times when we come to God, it is easy to try to come on our own merit. To try to come to God and say, God, look at what I have done. I've been facing this over the last few months as my dad has, has fallen ill a little bit again. And I want to invite you to be praying for him. But I'm like, God, did I not just learn this lesson this last year? Have we not got it already? Do we still need to learn more? Could there possibly be even more great faith that you could draw out? And I don't know. But I hope. I believe, and I pray, God, help my unbelief. This weekend, my family was at an indoor play place. My kids have been scared for the last few weeks of these really large slides that they have there, and so uh, they haven't even been willing to tempt them. And then this week, as we were there together, they climbed on up, and they looked so excited. And then one by one, they were overcome by fear, and they took their sleds and they walked back down. But I could tell that they wanted to do it, that they wanted to believe, and they wanted to hope, and they wanted to enter in. And so I devised a scheme, and I said, hey, if you guys will go ahead and do that, once you do, we'll go and we'll get a treat at the gas station. So Bailey got up there, fear in her heart, and sat down and thought about turning back, and then with one last push... She went down the slide. And again and again, maybe three or four times after that. But then her little sister got up there. And what started as a smile turned quickly to a frown. And tears welled up in her eyes as she turned and walked down the stairs a second time, being overcome by the fear and the pain. As we drove to the gas station, she cried and she cried demanding over and over again, it's not fair, it's not fair. When we got to the gas station, I held her back as the rest went inside to get a treat. And I said, when you say it's not fair, what was the game that we played? And so if you come to me and ask and demand that you get a treat because it's not fair, I think it was. But that's not the only reason that you could have a treat. So she turned and she thought about it as the tears dried up and her frown brightened into a smile. And then I asked, because I think she had it, what's another reason you could have a treat? And she said, 
because you love us. It is t- we're tempted to come to God on our own merit, to earn our way, to say, look at what we have done. We don't deserve this. Even to be overwhelmed in the desperation of our finiteness and the suffering that we face in this world. And for that to end up being yet another prison and a barrier. But the woman says to Jesus, your crumbs are enough. Not because of me, but because of you. And Jesus draws out that great faith and says, woman, that is great faith. We don't know why we face the suffering and the trials that we do. We don't know why. We pray and we pray and we wait and we wait. And we get more parables and questions and answers. But it's not because God's not listening. It's not because he's rejecting us or he's walking away. It's not because he has turned a blind eye to us. Sometimes he's inviting us to wrestle so that we might not just receive healing, but great faith. And not just for our sake, but for others. Because that woman went back to Tyre and Sidon. That daughter got up out of the bed and walked around. And everyone got to see the humility, the desperation, and the great faith in the one whose crumbs are enough. Where do you experience this desperation? Where do you feel restless and being brought low? Where do you feel like you are wrestling and wrestling and you cannot catch a break? May God grant you not only healing, but great faith. We trust that God can do this because of the second story. With the woman, he is slow and he draws out a parable. He gives voice to the prejudice and the lies of the culture and allows her to speak truth and faith against those things, and she is healed, and her daughter is healed. And then in the second story, this deaf-mute man is brought near to Jesus, and Jesus is entirely different. Taking the man aside, pointing to his ears and touching his mouth and looking up to heaven. What is he up to here? Scholars identify that maybe what Jesus is doing is speaking the language of this man. He's speaking a sort of sign language to say, I know you're suffering, that these things don't work. And in looking up to heaven and giving a sigh, saying, but I am with you, and there is healing that will come. The first story teaches us that we can be bold in wrestling with Jesus. And the second story teaches us that we can do this because he is gentle. He's kind. He was humiliated. He was cast out. He is the child who got up from his seat at the table, who made himself low into the bread of life, 
and gave himself that we might have crumbs to eat. In a few minutes, the band is going to come and sing about this Emmanuel. The God who comes and identifies with us, who looks on us and sighs, who knows our weariness and our brokenness and pain, who knows our humiliation and our desperation and our need for healing. And as they offer this song and this prayer, I pray that you would join me as we pray for those in our community who are facing suffering, who are weary, for the Laramore family that lost their beloved cousin in a car wreck this week, for the catchings, for those who are suffering illness and conflict and brokenness, would you pray, Father, let your healing come. When I was at Georgia Tech, there's a famous video, and you can look it up sometime, but on our football team before games, uh, one of our leaders would get up and recite this poem that I think comes from like the First World War or something like that, but it goes like this. We're going to fight till we can't fight no more. Then we're going to lay down and bleed a while. Then we're going to get up and we're going to fight some more. Every week we come to this table empty of merit, humbled, desperate. And we eat of his bread and drink of his blood that we might be nourished and freed to endure the wrestling and the gentleness alike until he heals and makes new all things. Let's pray. God, what a, what a passage you've given us this morning. Lord, to see our prejudices and our preferences given voice to, and to see what if, God, you treated us that way, the way that we treat one another. Lord, to look at the hurt and the, and the need for healing and the desperation that's all around us. We think of our brothers and sisters, the Catchings and the Laramores, for Vladi's family and Sydney's family. And Lord, we are at a loss and we don't have words to say. But we know that you intercede, that you identify with us and have knit your heart that when we sigh, you sigh. And that you have given yourself that we would be made whole. Lord, we are desperate for a crumb, for a taste. Whether it's from a smile or a, or a good report from the doctor or the next step forward, we just pray, Lord, for our daily bread. Would you nourish and feed us and sustain us until we reach that holy feast of the Lamb for your glory and for our joy. Amen.